But let's continue our, uh, our series in, in Mark. Um, I told Pastor Ron I was going to make a little bit of a joke how we're doing a series and the name of it is totally a dad joke. Remarkable. Okay, dad joke. I honestly have been able to just start using dad jokes as I am a father to a six-year-old and a four-year-old. It feels amazing, honestly. It's, I get it. Pinnacle of humor. Um, Dad, I'm hungry. My four-year-old, I got him. He, got, he, got, he started belly laughing, and then he got annoyed because I didn't let it go. I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. I'm dad. <laughs> Never saw it coming. Never saw. Thank you. Thank you. It's a rite of passage. You can make dad jokes all you want, but if you're not a dad, it doesn't hit the same way. And that was the first one to my child. I'll remember it forever. Let's get in the word. <clears throat> uh, we're going to start at the end of Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 35. Now, first, Pastor did such a good job last week, and I love when he talked about the seed and the power of that. Wasn't that so good? Yeah. Yeah. Those principles are just timeless, they're powerful, and they apply to, like, everything. And, and everything about that last chapter and all those stories, they were all parables. They were all stories. Okay, parables that Jesus has used to reveal a deeper wisdom to those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. Right? Right? Talk, talk to me, church. Let me know you're engaged. Um, these next four stories that follow that are all miracles. Jesus goes from talking the talk to walking the walk. And what he does is always going to back up what he says. All right? And just like his parables, it's the same thing with the miracles. There's always underlying reasons and things that are happening, and there's more to be taken from these if we really have those eyes to see and ears to hear what's happening. You with me? So it's good stuff. So let's see what's happening here, but I want to point out to you another theme is that all four of these stories that we're about to read together, and I'm going to blast through these things because I really want to get through it, and I want to make sure we nail it all. So get your notes ready and write stuff down that the Lord is speaking to you or that he points out to you. We're going to be moving fast. But everything here has to do with fear, great fear that we can encounter in these next four situations, and great faith. Things we will face, things that we almost have a right to be afraid of, but how we should respond in faith, what that looks like versus what it means if fear has its way in our life. Fear and faith. Are you with me? All right, so let's read this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us across the other side. When it says on that day, this has been an extended period of time where he has dealt with uh, healing. He has been opposed by friends and by foes. He's done a great amount of teaching. This has been a long, long day for Jesus, okay? He's tired because he is... While he's fully God, he's fully man. 
Let us cross the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Asleep. I want to point something out to you that was never really a big deal to me until I really started studying this passage. This is the first time I really paid attention to when it says other boats were with him. That's the only time you're going to see that. As they get to the other side, you probably heard the story before. They make it through the storm. They survive. We don't hear anything else about those boats. This is going to be something I want to keep in the back of your head and I want to remind you of the whole time. The only difference between their boat and any other boats that were out there were what? Jesus was with them. With all the fear and the faith that we're going to encounter in our life, the things we're going to need to exercise and the storms that we are going to go through, I'm going to say you want Jesus in your boat. And we have to remember what that looks like. Because even though they have him in his boat, there's still some like hard growth that needs to happen here and some confrontation really with what's going on on the inside, even though it seems like a really outward threat. It's only exposing what's going on inside of us. I want Jesus in my boat. Because as the storm comes, they either got turned over, they turned around, they weren't able to go to where they were supposed to go because of the storm. They panicked. Maybe they had to go to a different location. I don't know what it is, but we don't hear about any other boats after the storm, just the one. You want Jesus in your boat. I I don't know. As the church, we need Jesus with us. If he's not in this boat, there ain't no point in us getting together. You with me? We got to keep him at the forefront. They woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you care, Jesus? He awoke and rebuked the, uh, the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And when he says peace be still, this isn't like a uh, peace be still. When this is translated, it is not that. <laughs> the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and he said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, Three rebukes we see here. First is a rebuke to Jesus. Don't you care? That's kind of a crazy thing to say to Jesus, right? I kind of get where they're at panicking. But don't you care, Jesus? You know Jesus cares, right? We get stuck in our storms, and sometimes we see where our default is. We panic, and our default is really what's going on on the inside. We can talk a good game, but when the storm comes, we see where our relationship with the Lord is and what we really believe come to the front. Do you care? Well, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And Jesus said yes and was willing to go there. Jesus cares. He does. And the, uh, the interesting thing is I don't know what they expected when they woke him. We see by their response after he calms the storm, they're like, who is this guy? 
I'm telling you, their expectation when they woke him was not he's going to fix this storm. It's more like they resented that he was sleeping while the storm was going on. Not so much that they expected him to fix it that way, but they're like, you can't do that. Can I ask you, do you have a, a, a problem with people who have peace and joy when hard times are going on? Does this maybe point out the fact that you resent some people because they have a security that maybe you don't have when tough times come? Why aren't you freaking out about this? Why are you so calm? Don't give me that religious mumbo jumbo. A lot of it's not mumbo jumbo. A lot of it has to do with you and your heart. You with me? He was asleep and at peace. They didn't understand, so they rebuked him. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, we are children. We never grow up and mature. We're never peers with God. We are always the child in this situation. And the child has no reason or right to rebuke the father. And because we don't understand, our natural inclination should not be to rebuke Jesus. We need to check ourselves. Are you with me? Well, if I were God... <laughs> Careful. All right? He's, he's Jesus. Don't rebuke him. We, you know that. I mean, when I say that, you know that. But th that's, it's not really a problem us admitting it. It's it, subtext. It's what we do without even realizing we're doing it. <clears throat> that's the first rebuke. Then the second rebuke is that peace be still to the storm. He rebukes the storm. In the same way, it's the same language mannerism he uses against a, a, a demon before this. It's, it's more like be muzzled like a dog. Shut it. The down boy. No nonsense. He's got real authority there. Um, Remember, where we would fear, we have, to, we have to remember that his voice is the ultimate authority. Position him in your life that way, that his voice is the ultimate authority. And then there's the third rebuke, which is to the disciples. They rebuked him. He's like, fine, gets up, rebukes the storm. And then he turns to them and he's like, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And why does he say still? Haven't you just seen all of the things that I have done? Haven't I, haven't I taken you? And really, why do you think we got in this boat in the first place? Do you believe the plan of my heavenly father was to take me and my people into the middle of the storm and just sink us? We're missing something. We're not putting something together that we need to put together. Um, when we respond with fear... We question the character of God. You actually might need to question the character of God a little bit this morning so you can come to the understanding of who he is and where your fault is with your thinking. What do you really believe about God and who he is? Does your belief in God and your understanding of his character line up with the God of the Bible? Or have you made up some fictitious character that suits you better? He looks at the disciples and he says, check yourself, your perception, what you believe and really what you're putting your faith in. Amen? Amen. That's a good start. <laughs> Let's keep going. 
Um, they get to the other side. They're a little shaken, but they make it. Nowhere their boats around, at least it doesn't say. But let's go to Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. It says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. All right, we're not going to read this entire chapter, but let me just get this for you. Let's set the stage for fear, because... It is tombs and gravestones. It's dark. It's creepy. And all of a sudden, this guy comes screaming out at him. Stark naked. Bloody. Nails and hair overgrown. Chains that were broken off of him, still wrapped around his ankles and marks from where they were on his wrists. Places where he had, it says he had cut himself. Self-harm. This is not someone who is a little oppressed. This is not a believer who is struggling in battle against the enemy, who needs to fight the fiery darts of the enemy that we read about. This is someone who doesn't know God and is full-blown demon-possessed. This is a cage. I understand the fear in this situation and how the disciples probably had a moment to be like, Jesus, we getting back in the boat now? I don't know if you heard who we just heard, but let's get back in the boat. (laughs) There's a port with a McDonald's just like five minutes down the road. They're everywhere. McDonald's is everywhere. We don't have to do this. (laughs) Who makes Doc at a tomb? But here we are. But Jesus encounters him. And really this is to show the disciples to not be afraid. One, he has compassion for all those who are trapped. But two, here's how we model what happens here. And we see really this has nothing to do but the authority of God inside of him. There was a question there, and I I read about this. uh, When he says, uh, what's your name? He goes to cast them out, and there's some resistance there, and he says, what's your name? Well, a lot of times this has to do with identifying what it is because if you know what it is, you maybe know what doors were open to get this in your life and things like that. But also there was an old-time belief there in, in ancient times that if you knew the name of the spirit, you then had control over it. But that's not how it works. A demon doesn't care if you know what it is. They prefer if you not because they like the mystery. They like the chaos. They like to cause disturbances. They want distraction, things like that. They like you to be in the dark. But the biggest thing is our authority comes from Jesus because when he talks to it, he says, I am legion. It means there's way more than one in here. And Jesus knows all of them. But he's like, I'm not here to play a game with you. He then just goes after they say legion, like, okay, it's time for you to get cast out now. And they're like, please don't send us far from this place. He says, they say, send us into these pigs. He's like, fine, to the pigs you go. Bam, the man is set free. Completely changes demeanor. The disciples give him clothes. They they take care of him. They I don't know if they give him some food or something. But the pigs, it says about 2,000 of them run into the sea and they die. (laughs) I also see here that God places way more value on one man's life than 2,000 animals. God's scale in the kingdom is a little bit differently than our world likes to portray things. Okay, we take care of what God has given us, but the value there 
is in man. The shepherds of that flock see that. They go running up to the town that's all surrounding areas, and they tell everyone what happens. A whole bunch of people come back down. What's crazy is when they hear the story of what's happening and they see the demoniac is no longer a demoniac, you know what they say? Can you get out of here, Jesus? There's not one praise or, oh, my goodness, look how good he is, or he did what we couldn't do. They healed him. I see right here they did not care about the man but their pigs. They're heard. These aren't, these aren't Jewish people. This area was known to be living the Greek way of life. Okay, that's why there's pigs there in the first place. You wouldn't find that normally in a Jewish community. Not so keen on the pork, you know. But they see a value there in their pigs, and they did not care about the man. This is a lot kind of like virtue signaling in the world, where it's like the fact that he had chains on his hand and things like that told me that they tried They wanted to help him. They liked the idea of going a little bit out of the way to help him. But when they actually saw the power of God heal him, they didn't care about that. They cared about at what cost it was for them and that they didn't like that he changed things. I'd rather keep my pigs. False care and humility of the world. Jesus knew that miracles are normally a very personal thing. I could show you many times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where the power of God did something miraculous and the people who experienced, saw it, witnessed it, maybe even believed that it was God, but they did not change the way they lived. They didn't. They, they witnessed the power of God, but the miracle did not make them subdue their life to Christ. They didn't make him Lord. They were like, wow, cool, let's go. In this case, seeing is not believing. Living it is really giving people the ability to believe in it. And I'm going to show, show you what I mean. Let's read Mark 5, 18 through 20. <clears throat> As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. We have these crazy supernatural experiences. Your your faith gets rocked and changed, your perspective like nothing new. And sometimes, oftentimes, it is a lot easier for us to go to the place where it's like, forget everything, I'm following you, Jesus. Let's just leave this world behind and go to Africa. And don't get me wrong, I love going to Africa. Let me hook you up with Pastor Dick and Susie. We can get you about anywhere in the world. They'd love to have you on a mission trip. But that's not really what's going on here. Jesus says... Actually, I want you to go back to the place that you don't really want to go back to. He's like, the greatest testimony and witness is not people seeing something miraculous like this. In fact, they didn't care. They're still whining about their pigs. I want you to go back to your job. I want you to go back to your family. I want you to go back to your friends. If we want them to believe, they need to see it in you. The greatest thing you can do now is not come follow me and be another one of these disciples. I need you to be one of those disciples. We 
We don't want to deal with this life kind of thing, but that's where he wants us to go, your marriage. Are you Jesus in your marriage with your kids, with your parents, with your coworkers? Do they see that? Because they're going to say, like, there's Mark the demoniac, Lisa, the, the crazy voices one. How are you? Remember that? And what we need to say is I'm not that person anymore, not out of spite, not out of you can't call me that or you don't know my story. No, I'm not that anymore and let me show it to you and how I live. Let me show you how I'm different. Let me produce fruit in my life. They were resistant to Jesus when this happened. Do your own study. When Jesus comes back around through the Decapolis, they were ready to hear and see him. It was the best thing they could have done to tell him, no, you go home. Don't look to escape when Jesus is doing something in your life. Let him do it in your life and bring it everywhere you are, right there. All right? Let's keep going. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 31. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat on the other side, we're in the boat again, Jesus? They came by the rulers of the synagogue, and Jairus, by name and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And when he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse." She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she fell in her body that she was healed of her disease. And perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see this crowd all around you? What do you mean who touched you? There's a lot happening right here in a short amount of time. First, Jairus. This is the third miracle, but technically it's going to be the fourth. It doesn't seem fair because Jairus is on the scene before she's on the scene. I'm going to make another point to you. Jesus, do you see my need? Do you understand how serious this is to me? There's a lot of fear when it comes to understanding of God that he's not going to do things our way in our time. Are you going to fix them the way I believe you should fix them? The way I think and my timing. An important part of our faith here is the patience and the faith that Jairus has to have. Because when Jesus is going to do this thing, it, he's filled with compassion for everybody. And when he goes to heal and bless this one person, he's not doing that and so taking it away from somebody else. That's not the character of our father. Him blessing and healing her doesn't mean Jairus doesn't get it. You got to have faith. Especially when you're looking at other people's life and you're trying to make it through some of these storms that we're talking about and you're seeing this happen, this might be part of your test. Um, we need to not focus on our fear-filled negativity and judgment of other people and focus on our faith and what the Lord is wanting to do in our life. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
But then let's, let's keep going. So there is this woman with the issue of blood. And let me just make this very clear to you. This issue would have her be called unclean. By all Jewish customs and standards, she shouldn't be touching anyone. She shouldn't be in this crowd. She should be away. She spent everything, and there is nothing here but a real bad identity with what's going on and an incredible shame associated with how she's lived her life. If I could just touch his tassel, and even the idea there is like, would Jesus be considered unclean? It's amazing. He's the one that can come in contact with unclean and not become impure. He makes it clean. Who touched me? So we did this thing one time when I was preaching. In the, before it was an overflow, it used to be a gymnasium. Brittany, you remember the gym, right? And I had the youth in there one night. I had them all sitting on the ground, and we were talking about this story. And I was like, okay, let's do a practice exercise really quick. Let me get the 12 strongest you think you can protect me baddest youth in here. You're my disciples. I'm going to be Jesus in this scenario. It's like, I got to walk from this side of the gym to the other side. I want you to keep all these youth away from me. All of you youth, I want you to just be trying to touch me and yell any sickness you got. Can you imagine the chaos that ensued after that? I, they were football players, guys that worked out, athletes, the toughest of the tough. They couldn't do a thing to keep them from touching, pushing all over me. I mean, when the crowd came in, it was such a cool picture. And, of course, like Jason Johnson is yelling, saying, I have hemorrhoids and, like, <laughs> different things. They're all touching me. My... My fingernails won't stop growing. I got hair between my toes. It was hilarious, like the things that they were making up. But the idea was to get this one point very clear. When Jesus says, who touched me, I can feel the frustration of the disciples. Who touched you? Who didn't touch you, Jesus? Look at this crowd. But what's the difference here? It wasn't just an experience for someone to have and be unchanged. There was real faith there, a real desperation in her, and power left Jesus. He felt it. I'm going to tell you, you can be very close to Jesus in a crowded place and not touch him. You can be in a church where the presence of God is and not, you can, you can walk away with no touch of Jesus in faith. Where he is, and he told us he would be, where two or more gathered. Are you with me? I want to be touched by God. I want to reach out. Let me ask you, what burden do you have in here this morning? What need do you have? What's vexing you? I just want to implore you this morning before you leave to just reach out and believe that Jesus has what you need. He's got enough for you. He's got enough. Bring your request to him. And let's work on our faith. He cares. And we'll see this in Mark chapter 5, verse 34 through 36. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Praise God. And no sooner did that happen. It says, while he was still speaking. This is like the best written show ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just happening. There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. So we shift back to Jairus immediately. And they say, why trouble the teacher any further? I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that, but I mean, really, what's the point? I'm just being honest, 
Being honest doesn't give you permission to be a jerk or show no faith. I hate it when people say that. I rag on youth all the time because I'm just being, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just being honest. Whose truth? I'm sick of that. Just I'm just telling you the truth. You've got no relational equity with me. What you, what's your point to tell me? You're just trying to pop bubbles or you've got your own opinion that you're wanting to flaunt around when there's no compassion attached to what you're doing. You've got to see things and see people the way Jesus sees people because Jesus' response is he immediately looks at them and he says, do not fear, only believe. It's so good. Only believe. The voice, the voice of the world will say, what's the point? The voice of our flesh says it's too late. The voice of Jesus says, believe. Don't fear. And then Mark 5, 38 through 42. He comes into the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, the people weeping and wailing loudly. And they're professional mourners, by the way. They don't really care. This is what they get paid to do. And when they had entered, they said to him, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. He's not making light of a dark situation. He's saying, don't you understand with the authority that I have and what just stepped into the room, this is really not that big of a deal anymore. And they laughed at him. And he said, okay, get out. Get those voices out of your life. Get them out of the situation. If it's not faith-based, if it's not people who love Jesus, I'm not saying you can't be friends with people who don't love God, but their input in your life needs to be minimal to none. They don't get to have an opinion in important areas of my life. If you don't love Jesus first, I can't trust your motivation or your perspective. Even if you're well-meaning, it's not good enough. It's not me. It's got to be Christ in me. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. <laughs> he brings life where there is death. Our faith brings life where our fear would reserve us to death. Our fear would reserve us to a bad outcome. You're stuck there if we don't operate in faith. So what's some of the fear that we encountered today in these passages? Well, four very real ones that really would stir us up. Fear of physical danger, all right? We see fear of demons, fear of disease, fear of death. I mean, these are things that completely incapacitate people. Or sometimes we don't have a good faith perspective. We are freaking out and not focusing on the right things. Faith says that doesn't have to control you. And we need to walk this out with God. But there's some underlining things here. We see in the situation where the physical danger and the storm was, what really was there are unmet expectations on God. Fear of God not being who you think he should be. We also see fear of our own lack of control. Is that, is that some fear you may be operating in today? Uh, do you have fear of being locked in a cage? Like the demon-possessed man. Or how about like the guys with the pigs, God taking away, he's asking you to let something go or sacrifice something and you don't believe that what he has is better than what you have. He can't replace that. I'm better at being me than he is at being God. You're not a better God than Jesus. 
Do we have a fear of incredible shame and insecurity of people finding out who you are or what you've done and letting that control how you act like the woman with the issue of blood? Or do we have a fear of God not doing what I need him to do when I need him to do it like Jairus and his daughter? What's the most tragic thing about Jairus' daughter? If it was a 77-year-old man who passed, it doesn't mean I would be less sad, especially if it was someone that I care about. Death is always hard. But why is this particularly different? She's 12 years old. The possibilities, the, 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 the potential of life not yet lived. I would say there's a rare, very real fear of not living up to what's been given to me or not coming what I could be or dreams dying or not being met. And I'm telling you that Jesus is speaking today and there's a lot of things saying I want you to get up and arise and not freak out about the unmet potential so far and be who I've called you to be in faith. Life is daunting for some people. We're not going to respond with fear. We're going to respond with faith. And we need to remember earnestly that Jesus is in our boat. And I need to do everything to keep Jesus in my boat and live the way he wants me to. Because the storms are here. The storms are coming if you're not in one currently. But you can operate with joy and peace. If you're struggling with some of this today, I want you to pray. If you need prayer, our prayer team is going to be up here. Maybe you just need to come up here and just take a minute by yourself and get right with God. Lift up your hand and say, I know he's got enough for me. But in all these areas that you may be struggling with fear over faith, let's deal with this. Amen? Amen. Faith over fear. Let's pray. Let me bless you real quick. Lord, I just thank you so much, God, that we do not need to let the whisper of death control us. We don't need fear to manifest in our life and tell us what things should look like or how they're going to be. We don't need the voice of the world trying to control us and give us a dark perspective. We don't want to be reserved to that anchor, which only means defeat, God. We thank you that you come in and speak life and you teach us this, God. You show us this. I thank you, God, that we don't have to just fall back on your talk. We can look at your walk and know you are who you say you are, God. Let this be a faith-filled group of people. Let them be alive in Christ as they leave this place and they go to represent you to their family and to their coworkers and to their friends, that they would be Jesus to them, God. And you would show them the way to get through the storms, Lord. Let our faithfulness be great because yours is first so good to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hey, read your Bibles, folks. Read your Bibles this week. Get in. Make time to do it. You won't regret it. Get in your word. Have an amazing week. Come get prayer if you need prayer.